when people say to me, when I say I'm really thinking about quitting comedy, you know, it'll be 20 years in June, um, can collect that comedian pension. But <laughs> I say, to, they go, no, nah, you're never going to quit. And I go, but the, they go, why can't you do it as a hobby? Or why can't you scale back? And I go, because you get used to trying to excel at something that how well you do at it is, is, is important as, as important, if not more important than just doing it. And I don't, I don't want to give it 40% because I want to know that I did the best I could. It's important enough to me to know that I want it to be my full effort, not uh, if I'd worked a little harder on that joke, maybe it would have done better. And then you start, you know, I, I told some young comics in Boston would come to a show I just had there. I say it with humor to try to not be a downer, but I, I really was like, you're one year in, you're four years in, this is the best time. You're going to have higher high, but you don't have lows yet. Like right now, it's just kind of like a nice experience. Once you start auditioning for things or going into contests or trying to get on TV or trying to get bookings, it all of a sudden becomes a little bit more of a zero sum game. It doesn't mean you can't go to a bar and do a show, but as soon as you add ambition or goals, you now introduce highs and lows instead of just cruise control. This is nice. I'm enjoying this. Right. Or right. And disappointments are just right. bumps in the road. They're not, they're right. not, they're not heartbreakers. Well, that joke didn't work. Well, I'll work on it and do it again next week. Instead, it's like that joke didn't work. And that's why I lost that contest for that, for that week of paid work hosting at the local comedy club. As soon as you introduce that stuff. So I, I, I have had tremendous highs doing this stuff throughout my career, but the lows increase and a couple of years in, there really were no lows. You're just kind of like, this is fun. Oh, I made that coffee shop laugh. There is no higher ambition. That I did comedy, they laughed, and then I went back to my apartment to right. do some corporations work. Right, 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 right. No, the the right, the the ex expectations, right? And where things do, do you think is that is this like a side at all of like mom's hard driving, really dedicated way. Is this like th th that in you that, you know, for good and for bad of like, I, I gotta, I gotta be, I gotta get an A plus in, 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 in these things or. I, I think, I think the one thing I always say about my parents is I sometimes don't think they realized how good me and my, and they do. And they did. I mean, my father passed away, but they they did. They certainly did. My mom would say things like, I'm very like, I'm very lucky with you too. So she would reinforce that time and time. But, Sometimes it would be like somebody's son fucks something up and she'd be like, boy, I'm lucky to have you too. You right. could just say you're lucky to have us too without there being some <laughs> relative to the fuck screwing up. up. <laughs> but no, she like she was always very clear. Like for obvious reasons, her her me and my brother were like the the goal like the the driving force of her life and it's it's a beautiful thing and she was a great she is a great mom um but i don't think they sometimes realize that like me and my brother just were pretty much well behaved solid students and i benefited i was a better academic student than my brother i think he's a better adult um uh, than i am but i was a better gpa than my brother but he was so well liked by his teachers that i benefited we went to the same school i benefited from any teacher that had, had my brother gave me like a 10 point boost so i may have had the better report card but my brother had the better personal reputation and but some of that I think probably came from him wanting to please and wanting to be a little more reserved. And mine was, I'm doing the outbursts, I'm making fun of a kid or I'm shoving a kid. So uh, it would make sense that I would be less well-liked. <laughs> it's like, uh, you would be more well-liked if you didn't 
shout at people and shove them during recess. I didn't do that. That was not in my tool bag uh, as as when I was your age. But but if I do the go to a movie on a Friday with my friends and be I'll be on the eleven a p.m. express bus home, or I'm at home watching basketball. It's like the school year, the school uh, school's over, and I think they sometimes took for granted like you were good it, kids, right? Yeah. And it wasn't me. And I I mean not took for granted on the in the in the grand sense but like night to night it's like you know you know other kids don't want to be home watching a movie with their parents i'm good with it nobody's making me but you, you lucked out in terms of our interests and our temperament in terms of how we interact with the family and i wasn't a partier um i remember i was puking in the toilet uh when i was 25 home from law school what do you dr- it was like you drink i was like <laughs> Mom, I'm 25. I'm in my third year of law school. Right, yes, I drink. Right. The, 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 the horse is out of the barn, right? <laughs> like, it was one of these like, yes, I'm sorry that this, I don't want you to see this, but like, I just, I sometimes, that's the only thing. And I'm speaking for both of us. Like they realize it, of course, from, from, from a distance or in the aggregate, but night to night, it's like, I'm here willingly watching basketball in my room at 10 o'clock on a Friday night. I'm not asking anybody to be, be, be sorry for me. This is literally what I want to do, but this is also kind of good luck. <laughs> well, do, 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 you think, do you think that's at all there of like a little hard on you and that's, that's your hard on yourself? I think my parents, I think my parents, especially my mom, but both my parents, because were, I think the work they needed to do in disciplining us was all done when we were young. Like from that moment on, they're, they're you know, you didn't really have to, you know, they let me, they, to be fair, they let me do the things I wanted to do. I just happened to want to do very safe, conventional things like go to the park, join a little league, go to a movie. Like I really had no other, I was shy around girls. So I never, that didn't become a problem till college, but it wasn't a problem. But like, there was no, like, I'm going out. With, I was, I was, sh- I was too shy to, to ask a girl out in high school. So it was like, that complication was off the table um, because I'm sure my hormones, I guess, were in check. I was like, I want to go out with my girlfriend. There was none of that. It was just like, I'll watch basketball because I'm shy. We're all winning in this equation. I'm not getting embarrassed and your kid's not a, not a, not a delinquent. <laughs> Driven by lust and hormones. That'll say, you won't know what's happening in college. Um, so it, it's, I think sometimes that was the only thing, but their work had been done. Like you really didn't have to reprimand us. Uh, and I benefited from my brother being the first doing everything yeah. a lot more. If he was, tar- he was like late to class a lot. That was his big sin. But I remember it as a kid being like, what the, what is this? Cause my mom, there was a, they were right. They did not give a lot of room. Is that a fair way to say it or something? I mean, they were on I got guys. more room. Um, so I bet, but I remember like I remember just sometimes thinking in high school, I'm like, I was late, but they stopped they stopped sending tardy slips. Probably right, some right, rich right, kid right. complained, right. you know, about right, it. Right. Sometime and, and, in you know in ninety one or ninety two. Right, so some, you, right, you were all right some, by some uh, rich kid yeah. was like, My parents are threatening to take away my trust fund if I keep getting these. And they were like, Well, let's just Ixnay on the uh R days or whatever the pig Latin version would be. But um but I remember because I think my mom and she does this to a certain extent still. She'll ask me about like if I take a sick day. I have a joke that I've written where I say, anybody else lie to their mom <laughs> when taking a sick day at the age of 43 from work? Just because she's going to view that as like, are you, is the job okay? It's like, mom, I'm 43. I'm taking a sick day from work. It's all good. What has your mom thought about you pursuing comedy all these years? What's that What's that been? It's It's been a journey. I think it started as a hobby. And I think getting on TV early, My both my parents would have probably been very more skeptical, understandably, 
doesn't have to be that they're hardworking blue collar people. They people should be skeptical of careers in entertainment. Well, it's funny. I always say this, right? Like, just unless you can sing like Whitney Houston, right, right. or you look like Brad Pitt, right. everybody should at least be skeptical of like you want to do acting, you want to go into poetry, whatever. Get a real job. Yeah, yeah. I was just quick. I didn't want you to keep going. I just sort of say like, I could be like the fourth best psychologist in Montclair mm-hmm. and like I could make a good living, yeah. right? You you can't be the fourth best comedian in, you know, you know Montclair or North Jersey or yeah. right? I mean, it's just a, the, the the arts are such competitive field. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Comedy is like, it's, it's, it's the horrible mix of competitive and subjective. <laughs> um, because you want to say like, objectively, I should be a big star. It's not objective. I think getting on TV offered substantial objective proof that like I could do this and be successful at it. But then what they've seen is very up and down. And and with that comes frustration with me, but also much on my behalf to the point now where my mom, I think, you know, she's retired. She's, she's 79 now. She's, she's still got a little bit of it in her, but you know, she's, she's a little more slowed down now, not, not mentally, but just the fighting spirit is not there as much, but now, so, so you get a little bit more of, she gets more upset hearing me talk about comedy. And 10 years ago, I might've been like, you're too good. Get out of this stupid business. Now it's more like, you're very good. And I, I, I'm, I'm hurting for you as well, which is nice. Yeah. And that makes me feel bad because I thought by now <laughs> I wouldn't, my mom doesn't need me to buy her a house. This isn't like the NFL draft thing, but, but I thought by now I could be able to say like, look at this, look what we did. I built a house and you, you know, you're old. We, we built you a, a little one bedroom apartment, like connected where you can be taken care of. Like I, I thought, I thought I'd be in a position to do a little bit of that because you want to give back to somebody who gave their life giving you even the freedom to do comedy. Even, even my mom, I had a gig in Fairfield and she, I met her for dinner. Give me $150 to take a cab home from Fairfield. I was like, what are you doing? Why can't I take care of you? I go, you can, but it's, this is ridiculous. And I'm not taking a cab from Fairfield, Connecticut, back to Bloomfield, New Jersey. Well, take one from the city. No, I'll take one from Newark when I have to. (laughs) By the way, that's the other, I just, you know, I'm, I'm I'm so impressed by your approach to travel and stuff. I mean, maybe I'm just, so schmucky and typical of like using a car, but it's, it's awesome to hear how you take trains and take buses. Well, I've taken it no, but I let's, I have to uh, disavow you of your admiration. <laughs> I, I used to fly a lot. Um, and I don't anymore because the, the occasion to fly doesn't come up a lot. I hate small planes. Like I'll fly to LA or Chicago, but it's been like five years since I've been on a plane. Now, a couple of those years, there was nothing to do anyway. And the years before that, I wasn't getting booked on anything. So so really, only for about a year and a half <laughs> have I avoided flying when I could have used it. But I wanted to take a cross-country trip uh, on the train, I heard, yeah, which please. I loved. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and, but I do have a fear of flying. Yeah. And the less I do of it, the more the fear grows. Y- yeah, sure. Yeah, exposure um, is the best way to right. sort of Whereas when it, I was right? flying yeah. two to three times a month, it got to a point where you're in turbulence and you're like... It normalizes. But yeah. Then when you go on a flight twice a year, you're like, yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, but so yeah, it's not for any real that you shouldn't admire that. But I do I love the train and I hate small planes. So when I'm going to like rinky dink places, I'm like, if if Southwest doesn't fly to you where I can guarantee myself a 737, I'm not going to I'm gonna take some alternate mode of transportation. And I have a driver's license, but haven't been behind the wheel in about 20 years. So, Are you serious? Really? Uh, I'd be more of a danger You have not driving. driven in truly? A, a, no, a, I, got a it, I got it in college just to have a license and my friends had cars that I could borrow. So I was like most practiced then. And then I lived in the city. Yeah. 
And you grew up in the city, right? So you didn't, right. you didn't really, right? It wasn't a big day to get one at 16 or 17 right. in, in Riverdale, New York. Right. And driving, driving definitely made me anxious. And, but now I can pretend to be like super eco-friendly. <laughs> I know, uh, right? I take You're a sham. Trips. I take, right. I'm, I'm uh, an eco-coward. <laughs> <laughs> I'm green because I'm, I'm, I'm yellow. <laughs> there it is. There's, there's the tag. There's, can I, can I use that as a podcast title? Oh, of course. <laughs> What do you think you want to do? I know that's a huge question. I mean, you know, and tell me to fuck off, but I'm just curious. Like, what are you thinking? Uh, you know, what do you, th how do you think about it? I'm, I've got a special coming out and I'm recording another one at the end of the month. Right. That's the new, which will seem one. like I'm the most prolific comic in history, but it's like, <laughs> well, you no, know, when it's a 600 day delay on the first one, it's not like I did the, I, oh, I came up with a new, <laughs> right, a brilliant right, new a hour machine. in a month. No. <laughs> Uh, if I could do that, I'd be in a clock tower somewhere going, give me my opportunity. Do you not right. see what I'm doing? This genius is right. destroying me. Um, but I, when those are done, I hope to hire a publicist who can maybe get some attention at least more than I'm able to muster. But I have three things I want to write. I've already written a pilot script that I want to tweak a little, but I'm very happy with. I think it's really funny. What, what is it? Yeah. If you... um, it's called Staff Attorney, what I am at a law firm. I don't know screenwriting, but I know funny. So I know it's funny. I'm still massaging and trying to like really pound it into like a, a quality script. I think it is. But that's the first thing. That's like basically done. I want to I tweak it, but that, that will be in my writing packet. So it's... the second thing that I plan on doing this year is whether I quit comedy or not, is writing a script called now they came out with this movie called Bullet Train. Yes, I mean I I know with uh, uh Brad, Brad Pitt, Pitt right? Yeah. But I yeah I don't second know. second time for Brad Pitt on this podcast. Yeah, How about that? <laughs> I know it's a man. The this one is called Crazy Train, which is basically based on my experience taking trains around the country. <laughs> the gist of it is a guy who's afraid to fly. Who in the opening scene he's praising trains and his girlfriend's mocking him for being a pussy. He's going to Chicago for like an engineering conference. That's important because his engineering skills will be needed on this train. Right. <laughs> but he's going. She has no respect for him. She's clearly leaving, like in the process of leaving him as he's going on this trip because she's like, "You could be in Chicago in two hours." He's like, "Oh, the trains are very nice," and she's just like, "But you're also a pussy." What we meet on this train is a mishmash of different cross sections of, of, of America getting on this train. Um, and then there's terrorists on the train who want to turn the train into a missile that will blow up Union Station in downtown Chicago. So I've already outlined it, but it will be sort of an ensemble comedy that I also know from my experience intimately of taking all these cross country trains. So that's the, and the third thing, which is the most personal, which will be the thing that Regardless of what happens to my comedy career, I will write either as a psychological exercise or as something to hopefully sell is semi-autobiographical fiction of my life in comedy called Walking on the Side of Highways. First of all, it sounds like an indie film and I shouldn't probably be leaking all these information. Somebody's going to just steal all this and I'll be <laughs> no, out of luck. We'll, but, we'll go after them. We'll, we we got to make this better for you. But that is like something that I've actually done a lot in common, not driving. Yeah, no, I know. America's full of these places where it's like, do you have sidewalks? Does nobody walk anywhere? But I was just so taken by that when I, you know, I listened six podcasts or so, and one of them I listened to was the one that you went to Ann Arbor. I was just, it just struck me how much you walked around, you know, Ann Arbor's a wonderful place to walk around, but yeah. then you were in Princeton. I know you talked about that thing where yeah, there was yeah. no sidewalk. And I was just so impressed with how you then, again, just like, you know, took the train and then you had to get to um, Toledo to, ca to catch the train to go back. And I was just taken by like how much you're like seeing 
the country at all yes. these moments in a unique way that people don't do anymore. If I, I, I mean this, I, I don't know if I have the guts and I certainly have too much in my background probably to run, but I, I joked with my brother the other day. I remember taking a picture. I'm like, my demographic is I read the New Yorker magazine while eating IHOP. Right, right. I don't know if that makes me like every man or no man. No, it's amazing, right? <laughs> totally. But that's who I am. That's I'm, awesome. I'm, that's I'm, I'm, I'm Herman Melville in the Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> like, I like, I feel like comedy, if it's given me anything and it could almost be a platform, is I have talked, I have met, yeah. I have seen, I have turned MAGA people into fans. I have turned fans into enemies because they don't like my jokes. It's, but I, I have seen so much of this, this country. I wish we could have a high speed rail for this country, but that's just one issue. But I have, it has been a very enriching, interesting, sometimes uncomfortable experience. Um, not just flying over the country, not just dropping in a city and being like, and I'll be out in uh, 24 hours. But I, uh, the the book idea is just, you know, I thought as a metaphor, it actually kind of works because it's like my career has been this trudgery while things are speeding by me. I'm always like, oh, pod, we're doing podcasts now. Let's do podcasts. Oh, well, the, the podcast boom is, oh, well, YouTube. Oh, the people who are going to be superstars on YouTube have already become superstars. So I'm late to that. And it's this idea of like just trudging along just want to be a great stand-up comic and how all these other things that you need to do to make it don't actually make you a better stand-up comic. Like it's like being in a rock band. Well, have you written a book? Why do I write? I'm a guitarist. Why does somebody need a book from me? I want to be a great guitar player. So that's, and it, it would be semi-autobiographical because I'd probably want to include things that maybe might get me in trouble. So you want to fictionalize some of it, misorder things, et cetera. But but those are the three things I'm sort of interested in because if I don't make it, whether I make it or don't make it in comedy where I want to be, I think I've had enough interesting experiences that I can turn into maybe a f action comedy and then also into a funny memoir. And also, you know, and, and, and even my, the day job, like the main character in the day job is a, a guy who quit comedy, but gets inspired to like, give it a go again. Um, but it's also about class stratification within the office, within like the legal profession, which will be very funny. Like, you know, certain tiers never make eye contact the entire show. <laughs> Just, a, you know. Things like that. And I need that because I think that's also, I'm feeling happy just talking about these projects because the, 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 the unspoken part of some of these projects is these are also kind of creative outlets if comedy doesn't work out. Well, and that's what strikes me, JL. I have to say when you, every time you said, I just want to make this point a little bit of like, yeah, it's not stand-up comedy. And I want to understand why well, stand-up, when did stand-up, but it's comedy. Like, sure. like when you writing these scripts, like. I think it says a lot that we don't, there, it doesn't, TV has plenty of comedies, but it feels like. We don't really make funny movies anymore. There's no, very rarely, it's like one, it's like a couple of years. It used to be a couple of months. They might be trashy comedies. They might be the, the Farrelly Brothers or Harold Ramis movies that are going to be classics. But you had a steady street, like there was a market and, and, and now it feels like studios are probably saying it's too expensive to make a theater comedy. We'll just, we'll, we'll make a show with a bigger audience and do it that way. But, it, but I, I don't think this cures society's problems, but I think- Going to something besides a giant Marvel movie as a communal activity is probably good for the soul as well. But there's no more, oh, this comedy grossed $90 million. It was just, who's who's making that movie? It doesn't, it just seems like we've given up on that. Yeah, I, it's it's wild. I mean, my head can't wrap around how much culture has changed over the, slowly but surely over the past 20 years, you know, I mean, just with the... 
iPhone came out in 2007. Just what happened with social media? I mean, I'm never on Facebook. I'm not on Instagram. I'm not on Twitter. I, you know, the world just operates. And then all these platforms how for good or for bad, there's just no big tent anymore, right? Yeah. Like that big tent. And, you know, there's, there was probably a lot of bad to that, but there was some good to that, right? Right. Yeah. That's the thing. That's the Super Bowl is like the, the Super Bowl. Even Marvel is losing their step. They've, they've oversaturated. Well, it's Marvel, a lot. I I, we just started to watch it as a family in the past like six months. So I'm right. like still on like movies five or six. What, what they pulled off, incredibly impressive because by the time you finish this 20, like yeah. the one that ends with Endgame, I even sat there as somebody who's like too many comic book movies. I go, what they just pulled off, the fact that they made 20 movies and like 16 of them were very, were strong. Right, to, right, right. To quite strong. Yeah, to, yeah. To totally. quote Greg Fokker from Meet the Parents. Yes, strong, another great strong. comedy from How, my- How's your portfolio? Yeah, I would say strong, <laughs> strong to quite strong. strong. Yeah. You, you but that's the point, right? You and I both, but you know, it's like that connection <laughs> yes. of being able to know, yes. know, know, you know, that what you've done with your friends to be able to say the line and the, 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 the joy of having that common- you know, uh, understanding of yes. cultural reference, right? Right. And I, I said to my nephew, I said, there's more to comedy than Robert Downey Jr. being snarky. I heard you see, I heard you say that <laughs> in one of the episodes. You said, you, I didn't hear you say, you said, I'm, I'm going to be, I don't want my- Thor my, and my, Iron Man, there's more to, to comedy that, yeah. than Thor and Iron Man's witty repartee. What I, what I think this speaks to more, somewhat of my frustration as well, we can bring it back to me, Yeah. <laughs> um, is comedy has to be something more than comic relief. I feel like sometimes with my comedy career, I have become increasingly frustrated because I rose to prominence briefly with these Trump videos and, and other impression videos. And I was like the ultimate in high quality distraction. And to me, it's not a distraction. Yes, comedy is a distraction, but you want fans reading as a distraction. But if I like an author, I'm going to keep buying their book. But comedy with the cell phone, with social media has become a, a distraction in and of itself. Not a, oh, I love that. I want to see more of that. It's more like when I'm scrolling, oh, cool, fun. This made my scroll right, fun. Right, but that's it. There's no holding on to it after right. that, maybe. So so amazing to have 150 to 200,000 people subscribing or following to the different things I do. But then when you can sell only 70 tickets in a big city, yeah. you kind of go, wait, Am I approaching this from the old school perspective of, oh, when I like a comedian, I want to see more of their comedy. When I like a movie, I want to see more with that that guy wrote or starred in. If I like a book and you tell me that guy has a new book coming out, I go, I liked your old book. Thank you for your service. Get out of my face with right. your new book. Right, right. How dare you? Right. How and dare it's you, like, sir. But comedy, the internet has been this force- I think it has been bad for comedy. It has been good for the economics of comedy. But as somebody who, as pretentious as it sounds, still cares about the art of comedy, because I think I can bring this full circle, comedy to me, comedy, just the way I've been forged as a comedian and doing humorous things, it is very important to me. The, the, the quality of comedy, the worth of comedy is very important to me. And it's hard when that is not shared by your own audience or by culture anymore, where it's, I'm now a distraction on an app more than I am a funny, insightful commentator and storyteller. It's more like you distracted me when I was down. And my thing is, oh, I would want to see more of that person until they otherwise prove unworthy. Whereas now it's like, thank you for you know, I've had people, I do a Trump, po a podcast as Trump for, for almost five years now. 
it's one of the things I'm most proud of in terms of my ability to ad lib an hour a week on issues and things as Trump and create a world of different characters with, with my voice and with my brain. But I have people go, I love your impressions and go, I'm not really a podcast person. And in my head, I'm like, you don't want to try? I'm giving you 45 minutes of like R-rated funny Trump every week. Why not try it? Why, like, you're a fan of mine. And I the disconnect of like- Why do you think they didn't do the crossover? Like, why, because, because they're just- I think because comedy is, fl- is less- through, It's right. just, oh, I like his- If you like one thing, just it's just, you're by. part of the scroll. And you should consider yourself lucky just to be be included in their scroll. There are plenty of people who've reached out and branched out to other things I do and are more, you know, the the diehard fans I have are kind of more impressed because it's like, I haven't seen the full body of work and it's very impressive and funny. And I like all of it, or I like most of it, but it's this, this resistance that you sort of find with like, okay, so you're not a comedy albums, podcast, YouTube subscribe free, by the way. You're just, uh, if I pop up on your Twitter feed, you like me. And I guess you owe me nothing, but it's my expectations have have really had to been crushed. Um, whereas because if I had been f- discovered and gone viral for stand-up comedy, we right. would not have this discussion because everybody would be like, I like his stand-up, so right. I'm absorbing his stand-up. But, but I that's have to a stickier this- crowd. That's a smart, that's a, I don't mean to say this, a smarter crowd or a- or a- Well, they're conditioned to- you know, they're conditioned to the art form. Um, and I think that's part of the problem you see with comics getting canceled or getting in trouble is that the world now thinks they're all comedy fans. I, I like right. memes. I like impressions. I like TikTok. So right. I like comedy. And then you see a guy say something offensive and it's like two crowds emerge. The old guard who now feel it's their duty to enjoy it because it's offensive, whether it's funny or not. And the people who, no matter how funny it is, condemn it because it's offensive. I did a Mitch McConnell impression of him in the hospital yesterday and posted it on social media. And I didn't know he had a concussion, but I knew it was not, they would be reporting something much seri- more serious if it was like deathbed Mitch McConnell. But I did a, and a, a video of him like saying when he found out Joe Biden wanted to tax the rich to pay, you know, for more health insurance for poor people, he fell down the stairs and <laughs> hit his head. And somebody wrote on it and goes, funny, but, but, now that we know he's okay, it's funny, but let's not be like the other side. And I left it alone, which was growth in and of itself on my, but I was just like, don't get it. I have a heart. I have a conscience. Mitch McConnell really doesn't, to be honest. And don't, don't come in here trying to prove that, like use this to say, let's not be, no, you know what? Sometimes you got to punch below the belt once in a while for a joke, especially this is punching up. If you want to use your like propriety scale of what makes good comedy, this is, he happens to be down right now, but he's still generally a powerful figure, a Senate leader. So once in a while, eh, fuck him. I did a video about Trump when Trump's brother died. It wasn't mocking the brother. It was mocking Trump's insensitivity and not knowing his own brother's name. That Oh, I, I've been on your side, JL, but not there. Why? Because you can't tell the nuance that I'm really just using this to mock Trump. I'm not mocking his dead brother who I know nothing about. <laughs> but people want to like, it's like, don't use my comedy to prove your ethical bona fides. You know, what, what do you think happened with our society regarding the vortex of like political correctness and cancel culture? 
with humor and comedy? You know, how do you, how do you feel like these things should, yeah. How do you think it should be? You know, how do we get there? You know, what do you think some specific comedians from the past would think of all of this? No, I think a lot of comedians from the past names that come to mind, uh, Lenny Bruce, George Carlin, Patrice O'Neill would be three people who'd have, uh, probably all vulgar takes, um, on what's going on. My, my one thing with cancel culture and that I always say is I would prefer it. I think I would have thrived if I had been, I wouldn't want to be 63 years old right now, but if I was 63, I think I would have thrived in the eighties and nineties as a stand-up comic, not because, uh, I'm more edgy and need a, no, not just because then it would be distilled to Who's making the most material? Who's making the funniest material? He's doing both. He's prolific and talented. There's a place for him. There's there's development deals. There's work for him. Doesn't matter about social media following. He'll prove himself in the clubs. So I think I would have thrived in that setting. The internet, and I am a beneficiary of this. Thankfully, it took a long time, but, but I am, has opened comedy for better and for worse. Everybody with a phone. Because everybody wants to kind of chuckle. So like, if your video, hey, your video just got 2 million hits because... 1,999,000 people who've never gone to a comedy club also saw it. So you've gone from, you you may want to thrive in a niche art, but you are now benefiting monetarily from being more broadly available. With that comes more money and more people who don't know what the F they're talking about. But if you can take their dollars or their views you have to sort of accept a little bit of a problem with it. It doesn't mean comedy clubs should listen to them, but there's going to be more pushback because you're you're taking advantage of a, a system that pays you more because it's reaching more people than you might want to reach. I would love to only reach stand-up comedy fans, but I didn't. I, I made my bones a little bit reaching a is broader the purest audience. form of comedy stand-up comedy, by the way? Like, is that is that like the purest comedy or is writing these awesome scripts that you're going to do going forward and you've already done, like, is, is that just as much comedy or do you view, view that as a derivative somehow? Or? We will see if people consider them awesome. Uh, <laughs> no, I think, I think writing is just as pure as stand-up. Like, yeah. I think- Yeah, I agree. I, I think they are- prong they're prongs of the same right. purity yeah. trident <laughs> but everybody up, was thinking fork and you had trident yeah. that's why that's why you're so good yeah that's <laughs> um but i i think i think stand up because you're obviously putting yourself out there yeah i mean it's such a but such a different thing right, right? it's it's you're not like and I, I have to say one of the joys i did w writing sketches for many years just for my own youtube channel i always thought i want i needed to be the center of attention right. and one of the great things was seeing other people do really good things with your your words that made me go oh writing is awesome too right being a comedy if, writer if you got good people if if, if your casting yeah. agent does their job you can have more joy because it's like i they can't write what I wrote, but I can't do what he or she did. So now we've, you know, Arrested Development is my favorite comedy show of all time. But to me, I've never seen a show, and this is including all the greats. I have never seen a show match impeccable writing with insanely impeccable casting. Like everybody on that cast sort of spent a decade being typecast. They were guilty of, of the, the perfection of that show. I mean, I, I'm... That show blew me away because I was like, I don't know what's better, the A-plus writing or the A-plus cast. So you mix that and it's like, it's like fucking the, the new, you know, the atomic bomb has been created with comedy. <laughs>
and so so I think there can be a joy there in, in seeing other people do better than you can do. It's a lot to ask somebody to be the best writer oh my God, and the yeah. best comic actor. But if you can be the best at one of those and get somebody who's great at the other thing. So so I think there's purity to, to go around. Um, well, that speaks well of collaboration going forward. You know, you do yeah. things you write and maybe other, you know, other people perform. Yeah. Right? So, um, but God damn it, I'm being positive. Jim. Yeah, get out of here. Uh, but stand up, I just, I, I just really, I really love stand up comedy, and I want. Why? Why? I mean, because that, that was because it, it hit my ears, right? Like you, you weren't thinking comedy when you were younger, yeah. right? And then law school hits, and you and, and you're depressed, and 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 comedy comes on the scene. Like, wh what happened? What What was it about? stand-up comedy and what did it become about stand-up comedy that that well, you know as, why you as, love it as somebody who'd been a fan of stand-up comedy like i said never thought about it until i went to this bar show um i went out a, a guy was handing out flyers in my building so he's like oh i'm putting on a comedy show it was like a block from my apartment i go oh cool and i was in this mode where i'd been talking to to you know the exorcist and and was like yeah, i should uh, be fun let me let me actively go and ask a friend if, if you know, from law school, if he wants to go watch the show on Tuesday night. So we go to the show at Nanny O'Brien's. A Jewish delicatessen. Yeah. And it was, nobody knew who they were, but they were good. And I really had a fun time, but, and you never want to say, hey, I watched that guy. You made me think I could do stand-up. That, that, that sounds like an insult. But I knew I was funny to my friend. And I saw rec what looked like regular people, but- clearly had an act and, and some of them were really funny. And that turned a switch of like, I wonder if I could do that. But it was that show that made it seem relatable. It's like, it's like the first person to do a, a 360 dunk. You don't think I can do that, but the guy who maybe can do it sees it done and now thinks, Maybe I can do that. You've impressed me and inspired me by being somewhat relatable to what I think I can do. So it was after that show that I just got in my head of like, maybe I should find out where I can try an open mic and 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 give it a go. So you see it done by going to see a professional in a comedy club doesn't make me go, I can do that. But at a bar show, and they were really funny. I, I, see, I think that helped. I didn't see them be bad and go, they stunk. I'm funnier than that. It was more like, they were really good, but that made it feel maybe attainable. And the rest is uh, not really history, but it's my history. <laughs> Listen, man, I, I think um, I just, I love these ideas of the scripture writing. I mean, these fortunately one is already written. So that one, I don't feel like I'm just throwing out things like, and then I'm going to be an astronaut. Well, I don't think you've been doing that for 20 right. years. You do, you, you've got, you've got your stuff. I feel like it. An agent over the years probably would have been helpful, right? And like those Very kinds of things. Very helpful. That is, <laughs> that is the brick wall. And and a lot of people can say, "Oh, you're just no." At the, I've reached. Maybe I was full of shit ten years ago, but now that is that is the impediment to my career. Is, yeah, is I mean, I was thinking that. I was almost shocked up. that you don't have one with everything you've done and right. all this. I don't understand. And I would even think for the more comedy writing going forward, how do you get? Yeah, it'll be funny if like 10 years from now, it's like, I still want to be a comedian. I mean, I have three Oscars right. for screenwriting, but <laughs> right, right, my real passion is what I miserably failed at and ruined my personal Listen, that'll life that'll be a over. fun problem to have. I'm happy to, I'm happy to have a- uh... God, these, I keep tripping over my Emmys on my way to an open mic. <laughs> Let's, that'd be fucking awesome. Let's have that be the case. But I mean, I don't want you to have the, the so neuroses sad. of right. still really meeting that on the back like, end, but- 
I'm just sitting in like like a dark chair in an office surrounded by trophies going, this is God, not what I did, wanted. Why did stand-up comedy treat me so poorly? <laughs> just seems so hard to go all these years without without like the the agent and without that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. And and fortunately there there are avenues of some success, but it's like I could only say you know, uh, uh, un until until this time, uh, it was Barzini the whole time. That's how I feel now <laughs> that I've seen my whole career play out, even with wild success. Like if I'm getting written up, full page articles in Newark Star-Ledger, Los Angeles Times, Washington Post, I've got celebrities following me, I've got millions of views, I've got six stand-up albums in the can. When that isn't enough, and to be fair, just to be totally transparent, I'm a biracial person in an era seeking more diverse representation. Now I- a lot of my jokes on the special are, you know, my face doesn't give good ally. You know, right. you feel like you're supporting a villain from a Spike Lee movie when you see my comedy, <laughs> not a diverse equity and inclusion person. But my story is is unique and has has, you know, the 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 is there a place if you're even looking on the demographic side, is there a place for a guy who is half black who doesn't look half black isn't that a unique story to share so when tiktok numbers and diversity on its face are the are the shorthands that the industry are using nuance experience storytelling a, a more diverse background and it's very frustrating because you're sort of going i feel like i check every substantive and demographic box you might want in this time. And it's hard not to take it personally when you sort of go, what, el what else do I need to do? I had two meetings with reputable managers in 2013 when I had a, a, a video, go my first video go viral as Louis CK. That was the first thing that got me noticed. I got two meetings off, no, I didn't get hired, but um, I got two meetings off of that. I got zero meetings off of becoming kind of nationally and internationally known for six months. That's just so wild right. to me. And that, and is it is it the fact that I'm 43? Is it the fact that I look like an angry Italian, but don't do an Italian shtick? I don't know. Um, but it just felt like somebody would have had a conversation and that that's disheartening. And I, I hope I don't sound like just like it ends with me whining. No, this, I think you're very frustrated, and I and I'm, I, I give you a lot of credit for talking about it. I mean, I, I I think to keep talking about it. Listen, I I think some of the stuff we talked about earlier about, you know, maybe how has comedy been a defense or to, to look at some of the stuff is probably. But but I think and maybe to have it not be so all or nothing. Like I think keep going in comedy and comedy writing at the yeah. very least. You know, I mean, I, I mean, again, fuck me, right? I'm just. Uh, I think you're talented and I love these things you're talking about, but I know you've had a long road and it's been, it's been very frustrating. And, and the thing I joke sometimes on stage, I go, I'm six, seven, two eighty. I don't think I have another 43 years. It's very, it's very bizarre to think that way, but I go, I have a mom that's 79 and going, my father lived till he was 85. So there's good genetics in there. But at the same time, neither of them was six, seven, two eighty. Now I should be two forty. that I can help. Um, but two shoulder surgeries has me especially sloth like these days. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I said, what, once my pecs started looking like an orangutan breastfeeding video, I was like, okay, I got to get to doing push-ups sooner or later. Again, what is going on, shoulder? But the but but you start to think of your mortality a little bit, not in a morbid way, but just a, let's say I do get to be as old as my dad, 85 years. I'm yeah. halfway done. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. It's, it's so spent, humbling. I've spent half of the time I've had, pretty much, pursuing comedy. And I've spent a fraction of that time being miserable or angry at people who I shouldn't be angry at or frustrated at things that don't matter. So you go forward and say, I have a wonderful girlfriend. 
I have a dog. I got a brother and, and, and nephews, and my mom's still alive. Do I just want to take a vacation without a comedy component? Do I want to just know that when my work day is over, yeah. I don't have to do something else? Well said, well said. I mean, listen, I'm encouraging you because I just yeah. think good stuff, right? But I, I think it's so important that you fi really think about this and figure it out. And I, I, I totally get it. It's like, well, what's going to work for me at this point? What do I want? Yeah, I don't want to be Captain Ahab of comedy. Do you know what I mean? Like, I like, and and sometimes those are two Melville references. Today. I know, and I still haven't read it. It's it's it's. I'm reading it this year. It's in my book. <laughs> I read it in college this year. It's pretty epic. I mean, it was a wonderful book to right. read when you were 20 and thinking, "Oh my God!" Uh, like the world, you know. It's like, how I should. It's it's how walking on the side of highways will end. I finish Moby Dick and go. You know what? I'm done. <laughs> and it's it. it's a metaphor. It's like this was grueling, right. and it's like what the book or your life, both. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but that's, but it really is in my list of like books too, because I do book reviews for the, for my Yes, Patreon I know. I, and that's, that's another thing is that I, I. That's a cool idea, right? And I really, might have to become your agent, God damn it. Hey, a psychologist slash there aspiring an, there is podcaster. An opening. Is I don't be... know if you've heard, but there is an opening in my management team <laughs> for all positions. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I feel like, come on, let's <laughs> fucking make this happen. <laughs> Like what's what's funny is I referred to and a, and a fan said she laughed at that where I said I feel like comedy has also given me a skill that would make me great at like the Iowa caucuses. I will win over your coffee table of nine people. Well, I will get you came back votes. to that because I thought you were starting to say it like twenty minutes ago or right. more, but you didn't finish right. that. You were thinking maybe politics, right? I think I heard you starting to maybe going to say that. I care. Well, the thing is, I care about things, and I think I could be good at it, and I think I could be a good campaigner. Of course. If I think comedy politics sucks, I'm pretty sure politics politics <laughs> will be worse. And the yeah, but what I what I what point. I said to a fan was I said the irony is when I go to a show in a city, I want 300 people to show up. 98 people show up. Now 98 still feels good. Yeah. And these are this is about 93 people who wouldn't have shown up three years ago when I hadn't had my success. And then it allows me to meet my fans and feel that gratitude both for what I've done, but my gratitude that they care and that they like my stuff and that it's not, I'm not yelling or making jokes into a, into a vacuum or a black hole. And then I go, the irony there is I feel more beholden to those people who care because they make me feel good and worth, they make me feel like my pursuit is worthwhile. But the catch 22, another reference of a book I'm supposed to read this year is I tried once and I was yeah, like, I did too. I don't know if this is- Print was really small. I don't I know just, if this is as funny yeah, as uh, the critics say that's, it is. That's exactly how I feel. I love the idea of me it. Me too, me too. But is it a one, is it was, a one gag uh, book dude, that's not as funny as- A hundred percent. This is a witty, brilliant satire on war. Right? Uh, I was like a page and a half in and I was like, fuck, it is. I'm like, this is, I'm, I don't want to do this. <laughs> so the, the uh, but the catch 22 there is, but if I had the fans, the quantity that I want that would allow me to say, bye day job, hello, passion being fulfilled, I'm only giving you a, hey, great to see you, good to see you. I'm not getting to talk and, yeah. and, and share my gratitude and have them share what they like about what I do. But then the catch is if I'm doing a 500 seat theater, uh, good to see you, good to, and then I'm losing, I'm, I'm not getting what I find rewarding, which is that one-on-one, -on -one, you know, the meet and greet can't be seven hours. So, so maybe this is just, if I continue doing this and if the success that's eluded me comes to fruition, maybe I can at least hold on to these and say, oh, I'll, 
I remember, you know, like, like Leonidas in 300. I remember my original 300. You're always going to be my, my ripped abbed right. super fans that I will cherish at a higher level. Right. But now I have the Persian army and we're going to dominate in a more shallow and lucrative way. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for the latter. And then you go back to the, and then you go back to the ripped abbed 300 and enjoy them for an hour here and there. You know? That's right. Listen, man, I just want yeah. you to be happy. I mean, I, hearing hearing all the stuff you, hearing what you've been talking about lately, I, I just I want you I want you to be happy. You know, I mean, I hope that for you. I really do. And and and, and it's a pleasure talking with you. It's been I, great. Really, it's I been really great talking. Yeah, and you're off. Yep, absolutely. <laughs>